Welcome, everyone, to the Literal Fiction Book Club, where we read books so you don't have to. My name is Sam Johnson, and joining me today is Alex. Hello. Tom. Hello. And my beautiful wife, Chloe. What's up, everybody? So glad to be here. How are we doing today, boys and girl? I'm a boy. Pretty good. As we're, fine as we can. We're missing Troy. Yeah, where yeah. the fuck is Troy? Troy Troy is um, MIA right now. I'm going to feel real bad if something actually has occurred. But Everybody guess where Troy is. Alex, start. Just sitting in his car, reading about Rome, reading about the Brothers Gracchi. <laughs> or the Byzantine Empire. Yeah. Uh, the grocery store looking through different potato chips. Yeah, that's the guess. It's a good guess. Good guess. I would say on a date. That's, yeah, either Brothers Gracchi or getting it in. Yeah, right. Or trying to get it in, you know. She might be stringing him along. No, I think I think he just like, well... I just hope he's okay. I think yeah. he, I think he's fine. I think he fell asleep. Yeah. So I think f- I think he took too much medicine. For the listeners, why this is sad is because this is our first in person since maybe late February. Yeah, late February. Late February. Yeah, Big we Rona. Not- Big Rona almost canceled the fucking pod. Fucked our life up. I know. But we persevered. We- I I didn't I didn't want to have to deal with talking to you guys on the computer. I wanted all your beautiful faces. We went st- we went pretty strong. I think we did yeah. pretty good. We got into a good rhythm there. I we mean, did, actually. Tom's in town. Yeah, no. Yeah. New addition. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another white guy keeping the diversity up. You know what I'm Wait, saying? Wait, do you the brothers? And these guys, they're even related. Yeah, yeah. Do, do the, does the audience know that Tom is of the same genus? Yes. yes. I, uh, I you would know that times. if you yeah. listened. Yeah, but you don't listen, so you don't know. It's I don't listen. Before. I don't read. Yeah. You don't consume. I produce. What do we produce. have to do to get you to listen to the podcast? Yeah. Make it cool. Make it fun. Have you, but you haven't listened. You don't know. Why would I listen to it if I'm here most of the time? I don't know. I, I just hate having to listen to it so much that I just want to inflict it on everyone else. I send it to <laughs> other like people. That's a really good way to think about your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, send it, I send it to people in the hopes that they'll tell me that I should be on it more. Do you say you should, um, you should call in and... Uh, I do. I straight up do. Love I'm like that. calling and, and yelling at him. I mean, I haven't even added in the uh, the phone number recently because like, I mean, I might as well just send it to Chris Loretto and, you know, just take, it's like the Chris Loretto segment, you know, yeah. that's what we do. He's our Spe- foreign correspondent. Speaking of which, <gasps> shit. Oh my God. No, but we have his <laughs> voicemail. Do we want to do it? Um, uh, Can we? I mean, it's we're like going to be doing it in person nah. now. Let's do it Let's next week. We'll do that week. next it's week. Like, I'll bring my computer next week. We'll and it's do like it. a whole It'll thing. be a good way to, you know, bring in with um, with some cheer the Return Japanese of Troy. Meiji era. Oh, that I think that's what oh, he yeah, would that. want. Yeah, I think that. that's what he would want. Who? Chris. I think oh, he yeah. would want his corrections to ring in a new unit. You know, that's like the vibe right, he likes. Right, right. I think, uh, just in just final piece of business, we're all wearing masks, right? Obviously. Oh, 100%. Yeah. We're we also six feet apart. I'm We're, sitting in a clawfoot bathtub full of Purell. Yeah, she's actually wearing full face face cover. Uh, I'm burked up. Yeah. It's a hazmat suit, actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. They call me Burkina Fatso. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> no, I'm really, no, to anyone who hasn't seen me, I'm really thin. Yeah. It's worrying. Yeah, I'm, I'm really concerned. I'm wasting away. I had to eat a whole pizza myself. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, The <fuck>. travesty. <laughs> Yeah, you, you're giving up the ruse. We've called me a pog on this podcast. Yeah, you can be a pog and skinny, right? That's the thing. Mm, I think it's appropriating my culture. Isn't that just having a pretty ass? No. What the Being fuck do you girl? think that stands for? Oh, it's P-A-W-G. Fat. Yeah, it's fat ass white girl. Oh. P 
P-H-A-T. Pretty. That's really cute, actually. <laughs> Wait, that was really cute. <laughs> oh, oh, we got a romantic over here. Wow. <laughs> a linguist. <laughs> Casablanca. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Well, we've established that at least. We've established well, that we are friends. We're talking. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, yeah, I'm trying to circulate around uh, a petition in New Hampshire to open up my gym. Wait, really? Yeah, like a, a petition? Yeah, there's a petition. To did you start the petition? Are you leading did, it or are you, not, are you a follower? I'm though? a follower. Right. I'm a follower. Okay. That's good that you're getting back into politics, though. Yeah. I respect that. For what really <laughs> matters. Yeah, for real. It's funny because I shared that on Facebook and um, one platypus member liked it and nobody else liked it because I think they all think it's in really poor taste for me because I was like, oh, yeah. support a cause you can really believe in. Oh, Because <laughs> you, oh. you were silent about black lives but yeah. like really stood up for the zoo health club. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Damn. I love that. Nobody wanted to touch that. See, everybody argues with uh, the platypus people on, um, you know, the uh, beheading of the Columbus statue. But nobody will take me up on my gains. So. Yeah. Because they're cowards. So there's a uh, there's a, a um, progressive Democrat in New Hampshire named Mindy Mesmer. She ran for like governor, president. No, she, what did no, she run she for? She ran for a representative seat um, in New Hampshire and... Um, what you were taking a picture for some Tinder girl, right? Was the or was it? Oh man, I don't even remember. Right, it was a long time ago. I yeah, I was taking but yeah, a shirt. But but Mindy Mesmer was just in the background. It was one of the funniest yeah. things we ever had. Like a picture of her, not her. Yeah, yeah. not her. Right. She, oh. she wasn't just she like, wasn't, was like she wasn't hanging out. In the background. She wasn't hanging out in Alex's landlord's bathroom. No, that'd be cool. That would be really progressive of her, though. Mindy Mesmer went off the deep end. A little New Hampshire news for the listeners. Yeah. So what, oh, let her rip. I don't read the news. Go. I mean, um, go ahead. I, I think I understand. I've just been seeing saying. the screen caps, but she was going through this phase where she was kind of uh, in hysterics about coronavirus and saying that people should be going out photographing workers without masks on and mm-hmm. reporting them to their bosses and getting them <gasps> fired. Um, yeah, my friend was just like, I I saw the most fucked up post today. This woman is just like a fucking piece of shit. And I was like, oh, okay, l- let's see it. And then it was her. And I was like, oh, all coming back because she was someone we used to make fun of a lot like two years ago. It's really easy. Red Mindy. Red Mindy. Red Mindy. Yeah. She came to a DSA meeting once or some some poor bastard tricked her into going. God damn. We asked her some kind of like fairly easy question and she was like really weird about it. Yeah. And then we asked Mark King, New Hampshire's best state rep. Yeah. Truly. The same question. He was just like, no, I'm a social Democrat. I don't believe in socialism. This is what I want. And yeah. we were like, respect. Okay, fine. Yeah. He answered, but she just yeah. couldn't bring herself to answer the question you know. no she was really nervous and i mean she yeah. seemed, she doesn't seem like the um the stuff of politics i guess is my no. impression she's smart and uh she seems like a nice I'm, smart she's lady. She's very bright i'm yeah. certainly like I, I guess well-meaning but she seems like a msnbc like mental case yeah and it's just you know i mean i still follow her on facebook so i get those updates and um yeah she's just like hammering home the covid thing all the time and um, you know, the issue is that we don't have a like robust enough testing regime in New Hampshire. But now that the WHO has come out, the fact that asymptomatic cases are not. Oh, dude, um, they took it back. They took it back. Yeah, the next day, dude. Why Old would I? News. Why would I believe them? At well, the this all point? the all knowing Doctor Fauci came out and he was like, "Oh no, this isn't real. We don't agree." And like within I think six hours, not because it was because of him, mm. but him and a lot of people said stuff, and within like six hours, they were like, "Just kidding." Yeah. And we're supposed to take their opinion seriously. Wait, do I have Rona? Yes. Yes. Oh. 
We all have Rona. I had Rona. Yeah. Probably, like, I mean, I have not been being careful, so, you know, I probably have <laughs> Notoriously not careful. My coworkers all tested positive. Oh, okay. You definitely got it then. Yeah. Can I lick you? That was th- wait, three wait, months ago. Wait. Isn't it more Can healthy I if you? I do lick Stop. you? No. Right. No. Nobody's licking me. <laughs> I was debating whether or not to do my usual shtick because Tom was here, but I'm just going to do it. can't stop all God three damn. of us at once if we all try to lick it. I might have a gun on me. Alex, do you want to be our third? Oh, I should get my, I'm going to go to the car and get my gun. What? Because you can't protect yourself? Oh. <laughs> need a gun? Fucking loser. Real proud boy. Uh, you a proud boy? Yeah. Want me to make you some chicken tendies? Are you mama's boy? little proud boy? <laughs> yeah, we're proud boys here. <laughs> I forgot what it's like to do this in person. It's fun. I like it. It's a lot more fun. It's yeah, just hanging out and holding fun. microphones. It's we, really stupid. It flow, I, I'm sure anyone who listens to this is going to be like, what the fuck happened? Because it just goes off the rails so well. <laughs> uh, we're so <laughs> on top of it. When we do it online, it, mm. we're so like, yes, and the, yeah, we the have news to today, <laughs> then the book, <laughs> the pages, and now it's- <laughs> Danielle, Danielle was like, like, I wanted to it. listen to your podcast because I want to learn about books, but- it was just like Mel Gibson for so long. I just thought, okay, that's what it is. Yeah. Which Hell I yeah. thought was great feedback. Which I think in general is a, it's a good criticism. We, I like that we have this structure now, but this Am is- Am I ruining it? No, you're fine. It's, um, well, it's mostly just because that. it's the, you know, it's the roundup episode. Black. Rap, for rap, sure. Wrap up. We're going to get intense in oh, the next unit. Dude, I am really excited. Um, Tom, have you started the Meiji book yet? No. Dog, okay. you're gonna love it. It's I know. Fucking you guys great. have really good feedback. I'm looking forward to it. But I was in the middle of two different books that I vowed I would finish before I started it. And by two different books, he means Harry Potter is one of them. <laughs> it was. It was. Explain a pod- yourself. <laughs> well, I will explain myself. Are you it, doing it for your wife? Yeah. Actually. Okay. So. Essentially, I had just gotten through all the Game of Thrones books. I try to read like one type of fantasy, like whatever, what I consider like a relaxation book. Those books are pretty good. They're really good. I enjoy them. The Harry Potter books are good too, though. They are good. I have have no issue with the way they're written. I mean, the first couple are very like children's booky, but But once it gets more serious, it gets to be more um, enjoyable. It's a little bit more in depth. I think it's more well written. I think it's like a per- I think Harry Potter is like a perfect children's book series though. Yeah. It got me excited about reading when I was a kid and that should be its job. Same. The day the books were released, I remember going to the bookstore. Me too. So pumped. So I had never I never read them growing up and like the thing was uh you know Val had read um so when I bought all the Game of Thrones books, I bought the entire series at once and she was like, "Well, I need something to read." So she bought the entire Harry Potter series at once. So when I read through Game of Thrones, she read through Harry Potter and then she made me watch all the movies and she constantly every like 10 minutes was like, "This isn't how it happened in the books." <laughs> and like not not in the way that like the movies weren't good, but like constantly bombarded with all these extra details. And I'm like, "Fine. I'll just read them." And then once I opened that door, I had to read all seven books, and I have a very linear like mm. mindset. So once I start a series, once I'm like into a storyline, I kind of have to see it through. And for a period there, I was like, "What did I get myself into? Like, this is a lot of reading that I'm not always engaged in." Um, but they ended up really good. I finished them today, actually. Nice, um, congrats, dude. Yeah, thanks. You're I, like what, twelve years too late or something? Something like that. Like that. Oh yeah, I, I actually I would like to finish the series someday. I only read the first four. 
I, I would like I to finished, know. What I happened. finished them as a kid. It was yeah. it was exciting. The fifth yeah. one's a tough one to get through, but like it, they're they're really good books. I enjoyed them. I'm honestly glad it's over just because I'm I'm out of the series phase. I nice. want to get back into just reading individual I re- books. But I remember being a kid and I remember being so excited by the um, typeface that is used for like the chapter names. Mm. It's that kind of like spindly serif, mm. and then the little like pencil illustrations that would occasionally pop up. I remember just being so like. Oh, they put a picture. I love this. Because yeah. it was so precisely what you wanted. It was so nice. That's one of actually my my first memories of being like super pumped about getting a new book. Because like I would have to get used books and stuff as a kid, but the the hardcover with yeah, the they were like slip, nice. slip sleeve or whatever, yeah. slip cover. It was, it was so exciting. Um, and fantasy is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I, I read it mostly like I'll read something that's more historically based than I'll read something like this has helped a lot with the podcast because I'll read something that's not anything like what I would normally read. Mm. And then I always keep some type of fantasy book going. But typically it's like a book at a time. Once I get into these seven book series where like the average is like 600 pages, 800 pages per book, like it'll take me two months to get through it. But I, I can't stop. Like, yeah, I'm in that mode where like I can't put it down, read something else and then come back to the series. Like I need the like, I need to be completed. I do the uh, f- I do fantasy books all the time too, but I do it as audiobooks. Wait, I'm if doing... Tom's reading books, maybe I should read too. I mean, yeah. Would you want like? Do you want me though? Do I what on the pod? You like for real? No, you can be on the pod. You just yeah. have to read the books. That's no, I know, I know the rule. I know the rule. Yeah, we'll have to do some kind of like gymnastics about. Well, I guess with five people, it would no, be so it's bad. too many. I like I being know. the special guest. It I don't want work. the responsibility. If you want to read the book, I want to have you on. I podcast. think. I think if you want to just read certain novels, like I know, maybe I'm. Yeah, maybe there's like a unit. No longer is... human is a sh- briefer novel. So mm-hmm. it was sailor who fell from grace with the sea. A little sea. bit more simpler prose, you know, like. Fucking excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sonic inertia. Two lovers riding side saddle on a horse. You want to tell me about prose? You want to talk to me? He's talking to his editors if I don't know yeah. fucking words. It's, it's, Take a seat. <laughs> Cannot. Remind uh, me what uh, semicolon does? I It separates. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what that even is. Oh, Isn't yeah. it a period and a comma mixed together? <sighs> Fuck yeah, Combo. Dude. That's right. Combo wombo. Finishes yep. the sentence and makes you I take believe, a breath. I believe it is a separation for two relevant independent clauses. Is Who the, taught you that? Who uh, was the... Beautiful, busty woman who taught you that. Remind me real quick. My seventh grade English teacher. And she was a mm. pog. Mm. Oh, yeah. A yeah. pretty ass white girl. <laughs> 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 Mrs. Goldberg. You know what's up? Oh, triple parentheses Goldberg? Oh, yeah. What's so, up, queen? There were so many parentheses in that. There's a theme Wait, in this that man's her, life. Wait, does that make her a podge? Yeah. Podge? Is, pa- what uh, is that? A padge. Oh, we don't need to get into our Jewish people white conversation. I've seen enough of that on Twitter. Some are. <laughs> the new ones are. The old ones are not. Yeah. Sal, my grandma, transitory period. Look, I'll, it's up to you on that one. Sally's trans. Racial. Her Your grandmother. Oh, She nice. was born Jewish and is now an old white lady. I was thinking my landlord again. No, she's just. No, she's just hot. All right. Are you out? Will someone send me out? Make it like a cool thing. Thank you, Chloe, the beautiful, the illiterate. The Excuse me? lovely wife of mine. We were glad to have you on the podcast. It's good to be yeah. back, fellas. Missed Thanks you, for joining us. Thank you, Thomas. <laughs> no problem. Do I give you my mic? I think we're just going to press stop and then start recording okay. like a Deal. second time. Yeah. Cut. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> 
Um, so this uh, this week we're doing a wrap up episode. Um, so despite um, both anti-Semitic remarks and um, just general banter, we're going to be talking about um, the books that we read for this unit, which was the foreign sci-fi unit. Um, we read uh, The Three-Body Problem by Shishin Liu. Um, we read Planet for Rent by Yas. Got um, it this time, bud. <laughs> what was it uh, last time? Wu-Tang pun? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a I have a um, my my mother issue with names, so you know the struggle's real. But I have it written down this time, so we're good. Um, we read "We" by Yevgeny Zamyatin, um, and we read a short story um, called "Day of the Builders" by Christine Ong Muslim, and then we read a few of the stories from Red Star Tales, which was a collection of uh, Soviet science fiction. Um, one was called "One Evening in uh, 2217" by Nikolai Fyodorov. Um, the Nuri Desht Observatory by Ivan Yefremov, uh, The Spontaneous, Spontaneous Reflex by Arkady and Boris Strugatsky, and My Dad's an Antibiotic by Sergei Luvayenko. So um, that's quite a bit of reading material. I think it might pale in comparison to our French Revolution section. Um, in terms of pages, for sure. Uh, you think so? Yeah. I mean, Carlisle was 800 right That's there. true. Um, yeah. And 800 not easy pages. No. <laughs> yeah, that was a long one. But uh, um, it's definitely our, probably our second longest unit. Um, well, isn't it just our second? No, we did Southern Gothic, too. Oh, right. We did Southern Gothic. Yep. Yeah. Southern Since Gothic was pretty meaty. I mean, all those were kind of medium-sized books. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but, yeah, so congratulations, everybody, for finishing the unit. Um, hmm. I'm. I was kind of... Um, I, I was surprised in this unit and how I wasn't surprised. I thought that foreign sci-fi would be something I didn't expect or um, a bit more imaginative than I would normally think of science fiction books. But overall, it wasn't that it was bad or anything like that. But the scope of imagination around science fiction is at least thematically seems quite similar. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, like a, a lot of it, you could have told me that it wasn't Western or, or I guess... Mm, I don't know if Western's the right way to put it. but I mean, like, I guess I could say, like, I so I'm not a sci-fi reader. I've probably read little to nothing that is sci-fi previously. Um, but to what I think you guys are saying, um, this sci-fi, although written in various different countries, I, I could have thought, I would have thought that it was, you know, American sci-fi. I didn't find yeah. like, a huge difference in it. I think that was what I was trying to say, but... <laughs> Stumble, Not stumbling big time yeah you got that yeah I'd, I'd say so i think the one that is the outlier is the three body problem um I the think, one i didn't read oh fuck right my bad but right but we can talk about it we, sure, we can exclude him we it's sure fine. can yeah and um anything that we're saying uh troy agrees with yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he's nodding seal uh, of approval yeah wherever he is <clears throat> but that i think was probably the most interesting and uh unique conceptually out of any of the books we read um even he, though i did conceptually didn't, yeah i mean in terms of like he was proposed well i i guess yas was also pretty ambitious in terms of like his imagined world but it, it had a whimsical like almost fantastical mm-hmm. element to it whereas uh lou was uh very uh grounded and serious uh very serious <laughs> um in his uh in his uh science fiction in his imagined race mm-hmm. um, even though i personally it was my least favorite book that we read in the unit and possibly the entire time we've been doing the book club 
Damn, dude. I really did not like that book. I really thought it sucked. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, Shishin Lu did, you know, he was the only author that we read who actually did the, um, I guess, tropish act of science fiction world building, you know? Um, Yas did it naturally. Shishin Lu did it mechanically. Yeah, but I mean that, but the way Shishin Lu did it is how, at least, I'm not super familiar with science fiction, but when I've listened to people talk about science fiction, that seems to be a common theme. It's like a, a, a very thorough and explicit world building. Right, I agree. Um, so it's well within the genre and I, I, you know, I kind of give that book like a six out of 10 is how I feel. You know, it's like, I think that the, some of the ideas were interesting. Some of the, um, especially the relationship between humans and aliens was really interesting. This like idea of like a, a race for time, right? Like you have these aliens who are technologically like so far superior to humans, but because of the, uh, the earth's like advantageous, um, ecological system that humans will eventually overcome them you know before that this race can actually get to earth i think that's an interesting concept um but yeah the characterization except for um uh dashi yeah the fucking he was detective cool. guy he was fucking dope he was dope but he was also a trope oh yeah no i mean they were all tropes yeah yeah they were all tropes i mean but he was the coolest of the tropes you know I mean, I just I would love this like the Dashi adventures. Yeah, that'd be so fun. That'd be fucking dope. Um, but I think that the best book that we read, I mean, we only read one other book besides this, but um, uh, Planet for Ren. It was great. It was like so imaginative, so creative. Uh, it read so well, and it seemed to draw from like so many different sci-fi books that I grew up kind of reading. Um, in a way that it made like from. I mean, I think it, it strongly gave me Vonnegut vibes. Like, I, I felt mm. kind of like his tone was very similar. His kind of like self-referential world building. And I know this was like a collection of stories, so maybe it's not like that in his other books. We'll probably find out soon. Um, um, but it just, it, it, it had like a, an element where he was doing social commentary. It was uh, building a world, but it, it never felt heavy-handed in any of those. It just read. Which is just speaks to his ability as a writer. Except for the first one. The first story was uh was like, you know Which one was that? That it was the, the first one was the prostitute. Mm-hmm. The very first one. She was oh, going to yeah. be the uh, she was basically being at the used. airport. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That did have a bit of world building, didn't it? Well it was just like I think the thing I liked about what Yasa's choice was was because he's like, you know, trying to give you a sense of this alternate universe, he just pukes all of the terms at you in the beginning and you're very confused for the first story but after that you're like equipped for the rest of them right so i thought that the first story was actually the least compelling story and so um especially choosing that story as an introduced introduction to social work which was like a big mm. strong like a strong thread throughout the whole story mm. um that it was a good choice on his part so rather than like you know try to be um coy about introducing these terms he just kind of introduces all the different aliens and and like uh some of the the like strong pillars of this world that they live in and uh and just goes from there yeah yeah i mean to what you were saying by far that was my favorite book that we read through this between you know we and all the short stories that we read i didn't read a three-bodied problem but um but that was definitely my favorite. Not only that, but it was one of like the best books I think I've read in a while. I mean, like not just sci-fi exclusive. It was, re- and I, what I liked even 
what I probably like most about it was the way he chose to write it was individual stories that gave you a different idea of different parts of the society. And it was so in-depth and so engaging. And it was like, it was constantly action-packed. I mean, the entire, like, I can't remember what the sport was called. but the Voxel. Voxel. That entire chapter that was on that, like, start to finish, like, I was into it. Yeah. When we were talking about getting um, Val ready to be able to interview Yas and, like, she wanted a, a little bit of a, like, brief overview of the book and everything, um, I went up to get the book for her and to bring it down, and I opened it up, and I started reading that same chapter, and the next thing you know, I was, like, 10 pages into it, just, like, rereading it because I was that engaged, and it was just, there's not a lot of books that I come across that I'm, like, that into. I'd agree. I'm really pumped to read some more of his stuff. Yeah, me too. Um, and, uh, you know, I know I've been threatening this for the last two episodes, but um, due to uh, logistical concerns, we've had it, uh, difficulty, you know, getting an interview set up with him, but that will be coming soon. Yeah, like very soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then expect it like three weeks later once right, we get all the yeah, translations redone. Because yeah. we're going to have to translate uh, real time and then after the fact, so it's nice and clean. Yeah, um, my sister-in-law, my obviously my brother's wife, uh, is speaks Spanish, so she's going to be doing the translating, which I'm extremely thankful for. It's gonna be sick. Would be great. Um, but yeah, so I think that the you know Yasa's story has a um, has a uh, uh, an oomph to it that and uh, he like balances that that level of of whimsy with his writing um, in the sense of uh, you know being spontaneous and creative but also keeping things cohesive, right? Because it's not like all of his stories are, um, you know, islands in and of themselves. It's a description of a whole world. But some of them are really bombastic, right? So, you know, like the Voxel one is really bombastic. Um, the performing death one where the uh, the guy is on stage and, like, dies and then is cloned again, those are very bombastic. But then you have other stories like the sergeant explaining to the rookie right how it really is to be a police officer and um it turns out the rookie is like a robot that's spying on him um and obviously the last story with uh the uh, etu brute and the girl um that was really touching yeah um, like it was, it was poignant it wasn't mm-hmm. so um the next thing i wanted to ask was uh that uh, so many of these novels deal directly with some of the anxieties around industrial progress around um maybe not the progress that has uh you know resulted in our world right but the direction that the progress that will develop into the next world right so what is um what is our society look like 200 years from now um or in maybe like we's case right like what is you know what does society look like in our time a hundred years from now um and uh so do you know do we think that uh any of the author's anxieties are warranted is this something that we should be worried about and do we think that any of these authors rendered those anxieties particularly well or poorly i definitely think that those the anxieties are warranted and i think that's like such a common ongoing thing throughout all of human experience that we're always <laughs> worrying about the future, like worrying about what's what comes next and kind of prophesizing like what will be. And it's amusing to see how often things are completely off base and then when things really are like accurate. And I think some of the stories in um, this collection were a little more accurate um, in parts of we too than 
others and like there are others in the collection that i read afterwards that were definitely like even closer to that but in what way um i don't remember the name of it but there was one i was reading about that de- definitely had a lot of like instant communication and that was like a big part of it that was in like instant like uh, uh information transfer and stuff like that but that was like, oh, okay, that's the internet. Yeah, basically, it was describing the internet. It was cool. Like, it huh. didn't have like a, a physical interface, like we, mm-hmm. like our computers, but like it. It was the internet. It essentially, was the internet. Yeah, it was cool. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like each story was a little bit different into what it was getting into. Like when you're talking about a planet for rent, you're talking about you know alien invasion and you know different things out in space that are going to affect the way that we live in. I mean, that's the one thing. They're all relatable in certain senses. And like with A Planet for Rent, you could say, well, yeah, I could imagine that. Like if there is, you know, a bunch of aliens coming in and basically colonizing the United States to, or not the United States, the the Earth, the planet to um, be a tourist destination. Like, yeah, I mean, if we are the inferior race in the universe, like, OK, sure, I can I can understand that anxiety that would come with that idea and with um um with we it was a similar idea like i could see if we developed to that point where it was this utopia idea i thought it was realistic i thought it was something you grab onto but uh to alex's point it's a lot of times it's not what comes to fruition is not what's thought about but it's written in terms of what we think about today so like i think those anxieties are valid it's just whether it ever happens that way is probably not likely and to be determined that's a good point, man. Because like it, it's so telling about like the society at the time, like what their anxieties are, are where they mm-hmm. are their perceived weaknesses to themselves, and um, often they're wrong about what their actual weaknesses are, um, which is even more interesting uh, for, on like a psychological level. Right, and it's like who do they think the power players are? Right, so right. you look at like um, uh, you look at like the three body problem. The power player is is the Chinese government, you know, the international governments, right? Um, it's NATO and China. Right. Those are the power players, right? Which is a new, kind of like, it's not, it's non-imaginative. It's very conservative from the human side of things. In Planet for Rent, it's the aliens, right? Which, I mean, it's like a very thinly veiled uh, analogy between, you know, colonized countries and colonizing countries in that case. Um, and then in We, it's... Like, at least how I read it, you know, it's both um, like it's the result of it's a combination of like the Eastern Orthodox Church and industrial society. You know, it's like the worst things about religion and the worst things about uh, about progress Mm. just combined into one thing. And so, um, like you said, I really like that point, Alex, where it's like it is about the anxieties they're feeling and it's about the things that they think could go wrong. But that's has very little to do with what not very little to do but it is only a uh, narrow picture into what actually how things actually do develop well and we're not that far removed from like when these were written so like those anxieties still linger today so i think it's something we can all relate to and we can understand and we can say yeah i could see how that could happen or i, I can see where this is coming from mm. um where if you had sci-fi written in the 1400s we might look at it differently because it might be far enough removed that we're like, we can't really relate to this. Like, yeah. I don't feel those anxieties. I, I would like to read Diderot's sci-fi stories. Uh, oh, right. He did write those. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what I actually was like a couple of weeks ago. I was trying to figure out what that was about and get some, but I couldn't really pull it off. Hmm. 
we do a little more research. Yeah, we got to get some Diderot sci-fi. I think that'd be. It's probably horny. It's probably oh, it's very horny. horny. Um, but that'd be kind of more cool. reason to read it. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring, we'll bring it all the way back to episode one. Uh, Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, uh, Tom. Our first episode was a biography of Diderot. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Cool a guy. Y- over a year ago. Yeah, we've been doing this for a while now. Damn. We've been doing the the reading group itself for a long time now. Yeah, over two years. Yep. Every Thursday. It's been fucking dope. Um, but also, you got to think, science fiction couldn't have been written in the 1400s. Why? Because there wasn't really, they're like, part of the, you know, the theme of science fiction is fear of, of progress, right? Like, you wouldn't be able to write a science fiction novel. Maybe the 1400s is like the very beginning of it. Because like, they're so culturally stagnant. Yeah, or like, yeah, like, or like 900 AD, you know? Like, you can imagine like some sense of the a completely abstract future, but you don't have any of the tools around you to like say, okay, this is where society's going. Everything mm. feels very, it's, you know, a the same plotting. as it always has been. Like, yeah, at least not. not, not in like the sense that there's no political activity at all that occurs, but like structurally it's the same, you know, it's like, um, there are occasionally peasant revolts and there are different things that come up, but I mean, it wasn't even until the late 1400s that the reformation happened. That's true. I guess we can blame sci-fi and Protestantism. It's Martin Luther's fault. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. It's but John Calvin's too. Yeah. <laughs> um the whole room reacted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you said that. Um but there's a ghost. I think that like the thing is it's interesting with that is that I I think um kind of like those the, the far-flung, the impractical uh that in stories, I think that was the realm of magic and the gods and stuff like that in religion and uh mythology uh you know science fiction in some ways kind of has taken that place right what happens when we become god you get foundation i guess right you either are liberated or you're um oppressed because that's the you know not to well this is a free-flowing episode so i'm going to talk about marxism now but that's you know it's like uh um god is this it's an idea like people understand god as god making men but really they make god and that is a it's a projection of of what it is we want to be right mm-hmm. that you're putting out in the world and uh and so it's you know it's it's in that veiled ideology of that that the you know it's the beginning of critique of society is in the critique of religion it's in the it's in the way in which people understand the relationship with god that um that when you take on the role of God, right, when God isn't just making your world, but you are making your world, right? Mm. That's like the, it's like kind of like the first baby step towards freedom in a way. Damn. Never seen that put put out like that before, yeah, but right. I, I, it, it makes sense. Um, I'm glad it makes sense. So Protestantism, an important step forward <laughs> in terms of personalizing <laughs> the relationship with the creator. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Damn, I wish fucking Troy was here. Yeah, me too. God he would have, you know, he would have been like, oh, you know, did you read Leviticus, you know, 420? Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He could at least explain Protestantism to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what, um, okay, so what was your least favorite story in this whole unit? Let's go with Tom, because I already said. I was saying what was your, it was a question to the room. Sorry. I'm just looking at you because you, I miss you so much. Aww. I mean, me personally not having read um, The Three Body Problem, it would be 
the uh, short story that we read, uh, Day of the Builders, was just not... Like, it's super forgetful, exactly. It's just very... It was a story. It was okay. It it was what it was. But I didn't find it super engaging. I didn't feel like it was compelling. I didn't feel like they developed characters very well. I didn't think that it had anything really to offer um, as far as um, just anything that you can look into this sci-fi like when i'm thinking of a planet for rent where i'm thinking of we um when i'm thinking of my dad's an antibiotic all these different stories there's so many things to tie to really good literary tools really good um engagement as you're going through the story and the day of the builders was just a story it was just 20 pages put together it wasn't that it was bad it was just eh yeah, it was less that. It was definitely the shortest thing we read as well. It did feel kind of like something like an undergrad would write. Um, not, yeah, it's not even I mean, it's all I don't even, it was only like five pages. I don't even necessarily mean that as an insult. Uh, you I know, do. There you go. But uh, <laughs> I just, um, I guess what I'm, what I'm attempting to articulate drunkenly is um, they definitely, that was a story that you read and you're like, oh yeah, the author had a point they were trying to make and then tried to wrap the plot around that. Mm. Which right. I don't. I feel like we've I've had this discussion with some other story that we've read together mm. at some point. But that's a thing that happens, and it's often kind of the sign of a uh, a mediocre writer because it's apparent. Like mm. you'd hope that that would not be apparent. Like you should be able to obfuscate that. Well, so I think part of it too is that you know I don't know what everybody's all the you know it could be there obviously is somebody who has a writing process of which they have a point they want to make and then they. Um, structure things around it but are not so heavy-handed i guess in what they're delivering um but at least in my own experience writing like you have a point you want to make but you're not like wedded to it you know what i mean you let the story kind of develop its own ambiguities its own um its own personality Mm. and though the original core motivation for writing that is important it's not something you need to like discipline yourself to at all times otherwise it ceases to be real you know um if everybody is a stand-in for some principle or some position then they cease to be a person you know that's not who people are right pretty wooden um no and i guess like now that i think about it with what alex said like it is kind of cheating to use that as an example because it was a it was i don't know if you were actually printed it might be like four pages that you would have read and it's mm. not it's not nearly enough material to compare it to the other things that we read. Well, we, I think we can compare its weaknesses as a story. True. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't. You know, in it terms didn't of have to be four pages. There was no requirement for that. It was on <laughs> weirdsciencefiction.net or whatever. Talk about just fucking last minute, just pulling a story out of our asses to yeah, read. Yeah, damn. Because uh, oh, because Troy had surgery. Right. But now we have a plan. Now we have our whole book of short stories that we can fill things in with yes we have rashomon which mm-hmm. i thought we were just going to read that anyways because uh, there's actually not that many stories well so we're we can finish the stories at the end if we want to do that but rashomon. i'm just saying like we have rashomon as a way to like fill in gaps if we need to totally yeah we planned this out this next unit out fucking way harder than we've ever planned anything before we are it's meticulous we're it's thorough. now baby oh, yeah, yeah. we had a prime. spreadsheet Fuck yeah. We had a uh, voting system. Tell me more. I'm so pumped. I'm so excited. Democracy and spreadsheets. Fucking yeah. let's let's Damn. uh let's announce this as, you know, the Manchester Autonomous Zone, the Matt. 
Maz, baby. <laughs> the Maz. What the, the Maz, Maz fellas? You. Ugh. Gross. Um. So then, what was? Uh, well, okay. So my least favorite one was the Nuri Desh Observatory. Um. Oh. Uh, I thought Day of the Builders was was really weak, but it didn't offend me. It was kind of like a saltine cracker, which I enjoy from time to time. Um, but uh, <laughs> but the Nuri just deshed observatory I thought was just like you know like the argument on the podcast was that uh, oh it's just a cool story well I mean it has to be cool to be just a cool story and <laughs> <laughs> bro it was cool <laughs> it was not cool it was cool well oh man I wish Chris was here right now I need a boy in my corner yeah well he's not here now to, to save you um. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, okay, you know, like uh, the adventure is cool, but like the mystery was essentially, uh, it was for naught. Um, and the, I'm not saying I want to demand excitement out of every story I have, but the plot arc kind of had this like, you know, um, let me tell you a tale kind of feel to it. And then it was <laughs> like, oh, there's fucking radioactivity in rocks and, you know, I'm happy because of the radioactivity, and that also makes me sad. The end. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, well, you, when you put it that way. <laughs> I mean, I just, like, the way everyone described it when we were talking about it was that it was charming and that it was, like, a cute little story. And it's, like, that's just not, A, something that I want to sit down and read, and, B, it was just not... There was nothing about it that stood out, and I agree with you on that. I think it was decently written. It had all the opportunities to be a better story, but I got the feel at the end of it was that the author himself wrote something that he was familiar with and that he could pump out and put into, like we were talking about, maybe it was published in a magazine or something. But yeah. it just felt like he just he wrote something that he could relate to, that he could whip together real quick, and it was like very, very bland. Worse than a saltine crack. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I like that stuff. I like the old sci-fi pulp magazines. I like to sit down and just blast out a 20-minute story, 30-minute story that's just, like, cool, fun. No, but the other ones, the Spontaneous Reflex and um and My Dad's an Antibiotic, those were good stories. I prefer Neuridesh to... To spon- both of those? No, to Spontaneous Reflex. My Dad's Antibiotic was the standout so far, though. You guys got to read the story The Moon in the book. Okay. It's so charming. It's so good. It's like 1902. Use the word charming. Yeah, see? Didn't you just hear me shit on that word? I know. Okay, well, (laughs) you know what the alternative is that I say it's got a good vibe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to vibe from here on out. You You be vibing. Yeah. You know, the vibe is chill and... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like using the term wholesome. Like... Right. Well... Listen, folks. uh, Yeah. There's no whole. I, there no stories were wholesome. No, no, no. story. In no story unit. did I go back and be no. like, "Wow." Actually, well, you know what? Story. The story th- about the moon is actually wholesome. Okay, it's about two buddies who just wake up one morning, put their houses on the moon, and they're like, <laughs> "What is going on?" And they're like jumping and. Oh, like, that's cool. I it, like that. And a it lot. was written in like 1908 or something. That's a good time. Yeah. It's dude. It's so fucking good to read. Um. The only other thing I wanted to say about the uh, Nuri Jesh Observatory is that I think one of the reasons it offends me so much is that it was is that it was written um, in the Stalinist period, and I think the thing that like that jumped out to me is that it doesn't rebel against anything. It's like in an environment mm. that's so repressive, right? And especially when he wrote this, which was you know at the end of World War Two, when 
Stalinism was like, you know, not one step back. You know, it's kind of like a it's a was a very um, killer be killed environment. The you know, it's not obviously this dude's fault that he wasn't, you know, some sort of countercultural figure or something like that. But Pussy. but he didn't there. I didn't get any sense that there was something more that was wanted out of the world. Um I think during the war probably was a, a time where uh, it maybe just a charming story was enough. Well, I just think it's probably a, a fucking terrifying time in that I think there's mm. probably the impulse to criticize the state during something as severe as World War Two is maybe uh, you didn't have you didn't feel the desire to dissent against your state that much when mm. there was an existential threat uh, right to your. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, West. And uh, right to your left, because <laughs> uh, amazing. I just wanted to be—you couldn't see it, folks. But he, uh, Alex, was just trying to like figure out west from east by like pointing and making circles in front of him. <laughs> I was just doing the compass in my with my finger, because I'm a uh, Eurocentric. I'm, a, I'm Eurocentric. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm erasing the lived experience of slobs. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, I, I you know, I watched this uh, YouTube video today about um, a Belarusian uh, World War Two movie, mm-hmm. and the the movie the video was saying it was the scariest movie ever made. Okay. Yeah, and it was like a hi- it's a hyper realistic uh, Belarusian movie about their experience during World War Two and just how fucking horrifying it was and how the Nazis came in and they systematically killed all the Jews, mm-hmm. horrifying, and they burnt 630 towns in Belarus and killed every single person in it. Damn. And that's what they did when they moved across Russia as well. Yeah. Like, this is a force that is coming in and is killing all of the Jews in your towns, the Roma, the, I don't know, what are they, gay people to, to some degree. Yeah, yep. all all these uh, groups. And, and then just other random people, just yeah. randomly fucking killing people, burning towns, burning fields. I mean, and the Poles like, were completely fucked. They, yeah. yeah, and I, I don't know. I think if there's ever going to be a time where you're going to be like, oh, yeah, fine. Like totalitarianism, whatever. Stalin. I'm going to write about rocks. Well, or just right. be like, like, you know what? I'm good with this versus that. Well, I mean, uh, the thing was is it didn't I'm projecting seem, on it, this author, by the way. It didn't seem like the author was taking a side, right? It was more of like, I think what Tom was saying was like, you know what? Rocks. Like rocks yeah. are easy. Rocks don't, rocks don't, um, force me into the military. They also don't, you know, require a military response. They're just rocks, you know, with radioactivity. And that seems interesting. And that might make me feel good. Right. It might make me feel good. And then bad at the end. But the, the mostly movie, for the chick. True. 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 Uh, but what you were saying about that movie, right? Like that is like the movie about the like the real um, uh, horrors of World War Two in Belarus. I mean, that is kind of a protest against reality, right? To render something as vicious as as the Eastern Front in World War Two as a uh, um, as an art medium, right? Like it's a uh, it evokes an emotional response that that is intended to make you be like feel revolted by it, right? Mm. And I think that is kind of a, in its own unconscious way, like a protest against what occurred, you know, um, and maybe somewhat of an accommodation to it. Whereas mm. it just feels like this is just you know it's kind of whatever, and it's not even like a good fun whatever. It's just kind of a whatever. Mm. The movie I was referring to is Come and See, by the way. Can we watch that together? I would like to. It looks unbelievable. Um, like, un- I, horrifying. 
Yeah, I can't believe I'd never heard of it before. Come and see. I think I've heard of it before. Yeah. Um, the director, I guess, was a partisan. Like um, a Belarusian partisan? Yeah. Fought Fuck against yeah. the occupation as like a little kid. I respect that. Me too. Yeah. Um, okay, so what was your favorite book? Let's go in the positive side. Um, Alex, you want to go first? Um, yeah, I think One Night in 2217. Really? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I, I really liked it. Um, it's it's like so hard to like look back on all these stories and pick a favorite, but um, I, I, for some reason I emotionally connected with the characters in that story more than maybe any other story we read. It was a very Tolstoy. And it was, and I really liked the writing style, and um, I, I felt that it, it was a more emotional we, if that makes mm. sense, which is I, like I, it, it kind of had all the qualities of we in terms of setting, but it uh, had a much superior kind of emotional life of characters, even though it was so much shorter. Um, so mm. I, I thought that was a really great story. Um, yeah. And like a, ple- just a pleasure to read too. Um, yeah. I was really impressed. Yeah. I mean, I would, I've already kind of said it, but a planet for rent was definitely mine. I just, it's my type of book. That's also part of it. I, I don't necessarily want to claim that it was like the best written or the most engaging. Some of the short stories we read, especially the last two, The Spontaneous Reflex and My Dad's and Antibiotic were really good stories and things that I really liked. Um, but I haven't, like I said before, I haven't had a book like A Planet for Rent that's really engaged me to that level where I, I almost could have put it down. Like I wanted to like read on what was going and like, each thing, the way it was written, which is more my style and what I like to read, was written in a way of you're getting these snippets of the society like one at a time and they're very slightly intertwined and it gives you this like as you get further in the story, the picture begins to build on itself. Like Sam was saying earlier, when you read the first one, there's no like introduction to the species or the terminology It's just, hey, this is where we're at. This is what you're reading. But as you get deeper and deeper into it, once you get to the third, fourth, fifth, like, section, chapter of the story, it's really unfolding and you're really into it and you can really see what's going on and what's being portrayed. And I just find it to be a phenomenal story overall. I just thought it was really good. Um, I agree with both of you. I mean, I think both of those are great stories. I would say... Um, so Planet of Arendt of the books we read, I think was the best. I actually have a little bit more of a positive opinion of, uh, the three body problem than you do, Alex. Um, and I think we was a good story, but, um, to steal your line, a mess of a novel. Um, it, I think it had a much stronger first uh, act than second act. Um, the conclusion of the story was, uh, it was ahead of its time, I guess is the way I'd put it. You know, extreme emphasis on, on um, interiority, on like the inner psychological life. It was very much like reading Celine, um, which is not uh, a recommendation from me. Not um, a compliment. Uh, I think, you know, it, it kind of had the same vibes as, um, as Celine in the sense that like, you know, when they're setting up things, they can show their uh, chops and they have a really good sense of uh, when action is happening. There's a really good balance between what's happening outside in the world and what's happening in someone's mind. But once they get into their, uh, you know, inner psychological struggles, it's um, it's difficult to follow. Uh, and so, yeah, so I thought that w- that was um, good and we um, in Planet for Rent, you know, I think the um the like very large breadth of uh stories was really impressive because 
there were some things that were very funny. There were some things that were somber and dramatic. Um, and, uh, um, some things that were, were action packed. Um, and I thought that Yas really showed a, a strong range of writing. Um, I wouldn't say he's like the best writer I've ever read, but he, uh, he can do a lot of different things, especially comedy. I actually laughed in that book. Um, similar to Sutri. There were a couple things in Sutri, although I don't think, um, that was intended to be, not that it wasn't intended to have humor, but like that had kind of a, a rain cloud over it for most of the story. Um, and with one evening in 2217, I thought that, uh, I thought that the, like, like the, the difference between that and we is really just like a difference between what is wanted. Right. So like the resistance and we is for like Rousseau's like state of nature. Right. It's like for, um, us to be free, like, um, Adam and Eve in the garden. Right. Whereas like the resistance in, um, one year in 2217 is more of a resistance in the sense of like going back to a traditional family. You know, it's a, it's a lamenting of the uprooting of the family institution. And that's all a preface to say that my favorite story was the last one. My dad's an antibiotic. Um, mostly because normally when we get to the end of units, I'm like pretty fucking sick and tired of whatever it is we're reading. You know, like I've read enough of it. Like I'm mm. good. And that was the last thing we read. And I really, really liked it. I liked the idea of a dad chopping off his son's hand <laughs> because there's a bomb on it Brutal. because his dad's a fucking colonial cop and brings back a, a bracelet of a souvenir off of a dead boy's wrist and gives it to his son. Um, it's such a good story. Like it just reads so right. And, uh, in it, you know, that's the thing about the short story is that it really can, you know, give you a good punch. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, have to um it doesn't have to be as dramatic as like you know throwing an exploding bracelet out of a helicopter um but it can be as dramatic as that and um i think the economy of the short story is a really good representation of how good a writer is um because you you know you can um you can be like uh i really hope this is the guy's name i'm gonna fucking kill myself but um cormac mccarthy Yes. Yeah. That's the, that's the guy's name. Okay. For some reason, I wasn't sure about that. So Cormac McCarthy, the author of Sutri, he can go on and on and on and on, right? Like he has a whole novel to write his fucking masterpiece or whatever. And I think he did a good job, um, but there is a little bit of a, you know, you can kind of bullshit your way through some of that because you have, uh, you can just fill the, the uh, page with words. But with a short story, it kind of either gets there or it doesn't. And um, and I think that uh, my dad's an antibiotic really did get there. Hmm. Oh, I think that was definitely the big difference with that one. And something you definitely notice in short stories is, you know, the filler in my dad's an antibiotic might have been like a paragraph to just give you like a little bit of, you know, something that's not directly related to the story, but give you a little bit of the setting. But it was just like. One thing after another, the story completely progressed. It was constantly getting to the point of what happens next. W like, you know, w watching the conflict happen, watching these characters in 20 short pages unfold in the way they intertwined with, um, you know, the kid who gets his hand cut off at the end. I can't remember his name at the time, but, you know, his relationship with his friend, his friend's the one that the bracelet came from, like all these different things. And it was just like, 
there was no need for the filler and it just showed the way that it was written that you didn't you didn't feel like you needed anything outside of what happened and it really just hit you at the end like it gave you that punch mm. like you were I think like the short story is the sign of a great author and I think like we talked about this before I, remember, I feel like we've had this conversation but like we talked about Flannery mm-hmm. and, if, and and I think that like it's funny because Cormac McCarthy is like kind of an avowed like Flannery disciple. I think he also credits Tolstoy too. So maybe that's the dichotomy of man. Probably not a great combination, to be honest. But no, continue. but but my point is that can you imagine uh, Flannery writing something like Sutri? And the answer is no. You can't. I'm telling you that you can't. No, I'm not even let you let you answer. I mean, you can't. Yeah, but like, I agree with you. But like, I feel like she'd almost be a, she'd probably be appalled by it. Um, yeah because of how conservative she is with like her writing like with the amount of she puts down and the fact the way that she like powerfully conveys something in a in a very short story um, yeah and also even in her in her novel like right even in that, the novels yeah that novel that novel could have been you know a thousand pages if it wanted to be just of tarwater's inner monologue right um you're right oh totally i forgot him. yeah i was just thinking about her shorts but yeah even her novels are uh brief yeah, uh, but not they feel they feel dense yes know? exactly yeah and intentional hmm. i think it's something to be honest i think it's something about her being a woman that she um you know um men i think have a tendency to want to go on and on and on it's why we're on a podcast it you know mm, it's true wrong. in fact i'm sure um you know we can uh, listen to whatever my last monologue was and you know time it and be like wow that could, that dude talks too much um, my wife just sighed over there. Uh, but I think I she think, looks amused. I think that um, Flannery's uh, her being a woman. Um, when she enters, you know, like I'm gonna be a writer. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take this seriously. Not only is she like kind of, um, especially when she was writing, battling kind of the sexism of her time, but also, um, it really put her in a position where she had to take her craft very seriously and being um like being economical about it like her meandering would be seen as like superfluous not genius you know um and she you know especially like i haven't read much of it but apparently she was like the most biting critic she would just go after people completely brutal the shit she would say about carson mccullers is like <laughs> jesus fucking christ <laughs> like publicly being like oh that novel her new novel is the worst thing i've ever read like this is like a contemporary of yours right like, but she you know but like part of being a critic is right being able to like pack in a lot of fuck yous into one sentence you know and um and i think that uh um because you know flannery wanted to be taken seriously as a as a writer like she you know that kind of those traits were developed. Damn, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if there's ever been a female Celine. You know, uh, I can't think of one. I a can't. Female either. Melville, a female Hawthorne, a female Charles Dickens. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. L- r- listeners, call in and tell call us. In. Yeah, are, are there ext- like extremely verbose, uh, indulgent female writers as well? I'm sure there are, but they only hit us with a Rex. Yeah, I mean, like, what what do they do? It's like Rupee Carr, you know, J.K. Rowling. But she, yeah, she. All right, she, JK. Let's get her. Let's <laughs> is she verbose though? No, I verbose are long as way. fuck, but they don't feel. They're long because the plot is long. Yeah, yeah but exactly. it's not. It's not long-winded. It's, it's all not meat. like right exactly. It was just a joke. But it's it's worth bringing up, I guess. Yeah, fair. She's yeah. in the news. I mean, what other women write books? I so I just I just 
banged through a couple uh, <laughs> oh, Otessa, you banged through it? O- Otessa yeah, you Mosfe books. No, banged stop. through it. <laughs> we can't. It's misogynist. But, uh, <laughs> I, I just read a couple of Otessa Mosfe books. Mm-hmm. Um, they're extremely tight. They're pretty good, too. They're oh, actually they they're really good. Um, they're really tight, aren't they? Oh, <laughs> let them get the thought out. <laughs> yeah, they were super tight. They were really good. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, they were super not much birdie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I was actually, I wasn't referring to the uh, the, fir- the the grip of the pussy, but I was referring more to the um, lack of um, the, you know, like Flannery, you know, being a little bit more terse in uh, in her word choice mm. yeah i mean but there, there are also a lot of male authors who are like uh at the same time like extremely self-indulgent and also terse in their word choice i mean we can look at hemingway and but he's pretty like i mean he's known for minimalism i've only read a few novels he's known for minimalism him. but he'll pump out some long ass books i mean he wrote for whom the bell tolls and right. he wrote the, uh, the this christ i just read this like last month the the fisherman old man in the sea thank you but that's really short yeah, but it's really short, but it's also just the story of a man catching a fish. Right. So you're saying it's short, but there's not like kind of the opposite thing of J.K. Rowling, where it's long, you know, yeah. Harry Potter's long because the plot's long, but really, Old Man in the Sea should be a short story, but somehow it's like 150 pages or whatever. Yeah, maybe a little. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would never knock that. It's one of the best things. I was blown away. I thought it was just amazing. Yeah, yeah like everyone. Man in the sea. Yeah. yeah. It's a, but. The point stands, you know. You know what I mean, and I think for whom the bell tolls is also probably one of my favorite books I've ever read in my life. I've read it twice. I'm gonna read it again for sure. I haven't read it yet, dude. It's it's just fucking amazing. It, my grandmother used to always say it was a book for men. Um, I love that. I love my nana. Um, she would also always say that London was a city for men. Um, both times I went there, she told me that. She was like, "You're gonna love it." I love that. Um, goddamn, R.I.P. But um. Something about Hemingway? Um, so, yeah, so we have kind of this, like... Uh, self-indulgence, kind of, but also minimalist like, word choice. Right. That's my point. So we have, like, a political word, like, a graph, you know, and, like, in the... And uh, you have, like, you know, it's, like, verbose and then, like, plot. Yeah. And so, you know, there's different people who fall on that. You have, like, um, you know, Flannery O'Connor, who can fit a lot of plot into not a lot of words, and then you have, like, J.K. Rowling, who can fit you know not so many words but in a lot of plot and then you have like Hemingway who is um not a lot of words and a lot of plot who is the not a lot of plot and not a lot of words a shitty writer that's Hemingway that's what that is wait not a lot right? of plot not a lot yeah that's Hemingway right, right. Ruby I don't know who's this who's this Ruby Ruby Kerr she's she writes the shitty Instagram poetry she like makes a shit ton of money for it too oh well respect yeah it's like you love know it. love it, it's girl. like um sad uh the the flower is uh dying um in instagram rupee car yeah yeah not something i'm engaged in personally yeah, yeah personally not interested um you so i mean i know you guys you know whatever poetry is for women i get it but um if I said that, <laughs> no, I'm poetry is for women and Sam. Yeah, you know what? Poetry yeah. actually, you know what? I personally liked it until now. Right. Um, but it's actually for fucking losers who don't lift. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not lifting right now, so you're not wrong. Bingo. You stop uh, lifting, you love poetry. Those yep. two things coincide. It really happens. Um, 
But we, at some point, should uh, read the... I got a uh, Penguin collection of um, World War One poetry that I've read a couple times now. Nice. And uh, um, not only is there just some like really moving poetry in that, because it's... Uh, um, the English were famous for their poet soldiers, but um, there's some really good war songs in it about like, you know, just kind of like insubordination, you know, it's kind of songs you would, you would sing when like you're being drilled and you hate it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also um, about like, you know, about like your rulers not caring about you and like making fun of them and that kind of stuff. And I respect that. I like that. Respect that too. We don't have songs anymore. I mean, we, we really don't. We have music, but we don't have songs as like a, Group activity. Could we hold on till my dryer's done making noise? You know, I got to get some booze, so. Okay, let's. Uh, 45 second intermission. 45 second intermission, all right. Time out. So I don't know, I'll just say this because we talked about it, but like the thread of the books we've chosen is that it is interesting, and then I don't, we didn't do this on purpose by any means, um, is that we've chosen books from Cuba, China, and the Soviet Union, and then a couple from Russia or the Russian Empire. You know what I mean? So it's interesting that like we like didn't purposefully do that. Like, do you think? Yeah, there does seem to feel it does feel a little subconscious because of mm. our um, maybe not um, uh, political. Well, it's actually or, sorry. Excuse me, Troy's political um, positions, but for us, you know, it's like um, you know maybe. Um, I don't know, cringy members of the left. Like, uh, it's interesting that we did pick those spots to go but, to. But also, I think interestingly, probably Troy's because I think that we're interested in these con- these projects and extremely critical of them. But I think Troy also is interested in them in them as a science fiction story because he kind of views them as more dystopian. Mm-hmm. Because we're kind of I don't we're, we're we're pretty pretty distant ends of the political spectrum. What like us and Troy? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I don't normally describe, you know, George H.W. Bush's foreign policy as like, you know, <laughs> responsible or winning or something like that. <laughs> yes, you do. You're a fucking neocon, bitch. Um, I understand the rationale for being neoconservative. Yeah. We're not going to get into this, but for the, for the listener, uh, everyone except me is a neocon on this podcast. It's Sorry, true. Tom. Me including? Yeah, you're a neocon. Because you re- voiced my opinion. You're related to him. Yeah. You're t- you taint by blood, taint by blood. Taint by cum. <laughs> Fluid bonded. I just heard about this. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. Keeping it wrong. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about... Um, the string. No, we were talking about the him being a neocon. That's no, no, no. Back it up further. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in terms of like... But it's interesting that we choice, did yeah. we didn't we didn't you know we didn't go into Africa right like we really didn't go into um, uh, maybe even like modern Japanese science fiction which I assume is a you know well tested uh, genre mm. um, we didn't really go into even European science fiction which I also assume is um, you know is fairly robust so um, I do think it's interesting that we did pick those places, especially since they are the, you know, that is the, those are the anxiety points for most of leftist history, right? Like it's, it's Russia, it's China and it's Cuba, you know, in various, in that order as well. Um, And we also get kind of an interesting point of view on it because um, our, the books we read, right? Like, so um, one night in, 2217 that's 
very turn just turn of the century. Then you have we, which is during the October Revolution. We have um, the Nuri Desh Observatory, which is in the middle of the Stalinist period. And then we have two that come at the end, right? My dad's an antibiotic and um, the spontaneous reflex. And a planet for rent. And well, and then and then in China, we have the three body problem, which is modern. And then also um, planet for rent, which is modern, which is so what I am to say is saying is that like, for the most part, the things that we are reading are outside of those periods, but still somehow related to them. Mm. Because the Planet for Rent, um, and then the final two Soviet short stories or Russian short stories, both were written during the collapse of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. which I think had a profound impact on Cuba, even though it's not the Soviet Union. Incredibly um, so. Yeah. So it it it's c- kind of during this period of the of a the the, the power vacuum mixed with like neoliberalism, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting to dip its fingers into into Russia and to see like that total disintegration of, you know, uh, a pretty robust state that did right. exist, even though it was obviously not functioning, uh, right, really at all. But to see it privatized and to see living standards drop that dramatically, I mean, yeah, like life expectancy dropped by like fifteen or twenty years. Yeah, and um, I don't think it was as dramatic in Cuba, but. The economic fallout oh, has been it, it was horrifying. It was really bad. I mean, yeah. that's one of the reasons why um, why we can read Yas's book as like critical of of you know his own environment is because it was in the '90s when he was growing up that mm. all of this um, all of this lack was occurring, right? Lack of food, lack of power, lack of um, like the necessities of life, and that had to do with its major trading partner not existing anymore. Yeah, and um, you know they had to eat cats. Like that was you know in the documentary I watched about him. Like you know it was a very formative period of this, um, this great trial, which was the '90s for them. And then something else moved in in terms of what because the, their 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 economic partner was no longer the Soviet Union. They are now dependent upon uh, tourists, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, and also at the same time, like fighting off, you know, the threat of imperialism because their their nearest neighbor is us. Right. Um, Fascinating. What what did they call the aliens in Planet for Rent? What was the word? I mean, there was multiple terms, but it was like xenoids. I think xenoids. Yeah. yeah. We're the xenoids. We are us, and well, maybe not Americans so much because we're not. It's a little bit more complicated to get there, but like Europeans for sure. Mm. External influences that they depended on. Right. And, like, how else do you do it? I mean, they literally have two currencies, one for foreigners and one for natives, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But I do think it's interesting that we picked those three areas. Um, no, it feels like it. as we read through it and, like, the time periods that it was written in, like, we almost were able to unintentionally formulate, like, a timeline of everything that happened that was, you know, Soviet-Russian influenced. And when you look at the way everything was written, and maybe that's part of the reason that we think a lot of it l- seems so similar, is, you know, it was, you know, before, during, and after this large-scale... Um, large-scale what? It's not government. Um, Revolution. Uh, experiment. Experiment, yeah. Right. Say, re your sentence. Well, it's the before, during, and after of this large-scale historic event. Yeah, uh, of you know, you you had a very large, you know, state of Russia in the Soviet Union that influenced so many different places over a long period of time and had incredible influence over the world, and we happened to read stories that were all underneath that umbrella through those particular time periods as it was going through, and it almost created this like 
story arc where we could relate to it under that umbrella. It wasn't like it'd be so much different, like you were saying earlier, if it was, you know, Japanese sci-fi or Northern European sci-fi or Australian sci-fi probably wouldn't correspond as well with what we read. You know, I almost wonder, like, if we really start to get into this, what the character of sci-fi in the West in the 1990s was. And if maybe it has some of the same anxieties that um, post-Soviet sci-fi in in Russia would have. Because, like, one thing that I took away from my father's antibiotic was that I kept, the whole time I just kept thinking of, uh, when he's watching the TV and all that, I was just thinking of CNN and Iraq. Like as a child, I, I'm sure we and yeah, cheering, about, cheering on, you know, otherwise endorsing. My family it. was a little bit different from the from your family, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know what I mean. The night vision, or then even more recently, um, during Obama, uh, Libya, you know, mm. uh, watching that live on CNN, mm-hmm. and that was what came to mind with me. Right. So this is something that is like relatable. Oh yeah, for sure. It's not foreign. No, not at all. The entirety of the con. The contents aren't. It's interesting. Yeah, and I I think that comes back to our original point, which is that American sci-fi is not um, categorically different, right, than these foreign sci-fi novels, at least thus far we've read. I'm sure there are other forms of imagination, right, Um, especially as you get farther into, um, like, Western sci-fi and, um, you know, I guess non-Western sci-fi, because we live in a global capitalist environment, especially in the 90s, right? The anxieties are going to be projected through different um, local circumstances, but they're largely going to be, like, thematically the same, right? It's, um, you know, anxieties about where your place is, right, in the world. It's anxieties about the, um, you know, what direction is history going, right? Because you don't feel like you're in control of things. Obviously, that's even more... Um, obvious right in some place like Russia where they you know where the Soviet Union falls and then um, every capitalist in the whole world goes over there and just buys up the state assets you know and creates their own little oligarchies and um, so that's a little bit more acute or not a lot of it more acute but still the anxieties are the same right you are worried about the where things are going and where your place is in that and I think that's actually um uh, I don't know, people want to sort of prize cultural peculiarity. They want to say like, oh, you know, it's like we have all these different little enclaves of individuals who have their culture and um, and that's commendable, right? You know, just in and of itself. But I think uh, the universality of, of human expression, even in its like, you know, substance, maybe not necessarily in its form, um, is beautiful and something that uh, gives me hope. Yeah. I mean, you actually said something that like it gave me a thought not to go like way too deep down the rabbit hole. But like it's amazing to me. And again, not to go back to like a planet for rent, but it's the one that kind of resonates with me the most. But, um, you know, it's something that seems so relatable, but it's amazing to me that that story living and growing up in the United States is relatable in a sense that like it's like the fear of what would happen if you know these aliens came in and created made earth a um 
an amusement park, basically, and a tourist destination. And we can relate to that and we can look at it and be like, wow, like we really don't want that to happen or what if that happened. But there's places in the world that that's already happening. That's mm-hmm. already a thing. So it's it's interesting because the story itself in a lot of these stories are written from a point of view of somebody who's really living through and experiencing something similar, but it's relatable for people like us and people around the world that aren't going through it, but can imagine what that would be like. And it's like we're in this constant fear of being in that state, but we don't we don't look at a place like Cuba all the time. And I say we in like a general sense, not like all of us in this room, but like a lot of people around the world and feel like, you know, sympathy or empathy every day for what these other places are going through but we also fear it and we run away from it Mm -hmm. and it's just amazing that like it can be written in a way that certain parts of the world in cuba for instance is something that they lived through and are living through and for us we relate to it as a fear of what we don't want to live through but it's relatable for everybody right you know and it's that um you know are you are you the conqueror are you the conquered Right. I mean, I feel like a lot of um, American discourse kind of avoids that question, um, mostly because uh, for not everybody, for but for a large part of the population, you know, they are not what we would consider a conquered population. Um, Maybe with some of the more like militaristic aspects of um, the current manifestation of the state, some people might feel that way, maybe, but... Um, it's not a directly colonial or even like neo-colonial way of thinking. Um, and so, you know, when it really comes down to it though, do you want to be the one conquering or do you want to be the conquered? You want to be, you want to be the xenoids, you Mm. know, and you really are afraid of being the humans in Planet Varen. Right. I don't know. I think we're, I think pretty much across the board, universally, we agree that to be the conqueror is not okay anymore. (laughs) Uh, look at the way we like mm-hmm. discuss the entire development of of our our nation. Oh yeah, culturally, that's not even in the language. No, it's it's, it's this idea that um, the conqueror is not a conqueror; it's the victimizer or something like that. It's the it's it's the guilty party, right? But it's the sinful. At the same time, the people making these arguments, I think, want to win, and they oh, don't yeah. think they can reckon with it. I don't think they can square those things because, like. As you know, as as a, as a socialist, is I don't, I'm not afraid to say that. Like, I want to conquer. I mm-hmm. want my my segment of society to conquer. Yeah, that's the goal. Right. The goal is to wield political power, and that is conquering. Yeah, and that is destroy. That is not. To, I mean, not destroying like not, culturally, I'm, but sure. that is our to 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 destroy your your enemies. Right. To be you know dominant. Right. To be robust to it's i mean whatever it's the dictatorship of the proletariat the point is to right. is to take responsibility of society and um and that already is happening you know it's not like uh it's not like the al- there are like multiple options out there the option is the world we currently live in with the state that currently dominates over society or potentially another um another social formation that could move beyond such such a need as a you know, barbaric institution as the state. Hmm. But like, you're right. The point is to conquer. And I think that's something that um, is missed in how we think about our, you know, like Western civilization in general. And then in America, American civilization in particular is that um, 
you know, the like the the neocons, right? If we want to bring it back to that, they're wrong because they're naive. Because because the American military and, you know, the United Nations as an institution is not a particularly progressive force. I mean, it's only progressive in relation to like complete, you know, religious reactionaries. I mean, that is and that's a really low bar for being progressive. They're not like they're not wrong in the sense that we don't want to export democracy, that we don't want to export um, freedom. Right. Like, um, you know, one would hope that like, a you know, international socialist revolution in the heart of capitalism would set the stage for like all these smaller nations to just be like uh, pulled into their orbit by the, you know, pure amount of abundance and just betterness of those societies. Right. You would hope that would be the case, um, but maybe not. It won't be. Oh, the smaller countries, 100 percent. There's no way there's no way like, uh, you know, Panama or El Salvador or whatever are not going to just be like sucked up into whatever. If there was a revolution in the United States, 100 percent. Do you think that the United States could successfully pull that off? What do in you a mean? Vac- I don't know. I, I don't, no, I, I'm just saying it wouldn't. I don't think it wouldn't we, matter. I don't think that there would be like abundant. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. In America, 100 percent. It would be like no problem. You think so? Yeah. In America, if we if we took over the like productive infrastructure of the United States, it would just be it would like I'm not saying it would be like overnight, but like it would be very, very quickly. The our like productive capacities would just go through the roof. You think so? Yeah, we have all the we have all the infrastructure. I mean, that's true. It's like even when we talk about the exporting of manufacturing, it's really mostly the automation of manufacturing. It's not really like we don't produce things here. It's just we produce them with robots. Mm. Um, yeah, and the stuff that's produced, uh, uh, and it's it not that hard to for, build up infrastructure. Is, is yeah. not skill as skilled. Yeah, production. right. Okay, that's but the point I'm saying is that like that you know to get back to what you were saying Alex which is that the point is to conquer right the point is to be bold the point is to you know intervene in history and not just submit to it and you know count out the names of everybody who was ever hurt by it I mean yeah I mean that's the most impotent thing you could possibly do right dad or get your head beaten in by a cop you know same thing right whatever doesn't use same impact right you know at the end of the day what do you think, Thomas? St. Thomas Aquinas? Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know where that c- conversation sprung from. Um, no, but I think the premise is accurate. I mean, I think that in order to actually effectively create change and to, to get what you think is right and what very well may be right, the only way to do it is via conquer. Like, it, 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 is, it is overcoming obstacles and for lack of a better term, taking down enemies that oppose that idea system. And there's just no, there's no way around that. What do you think Lincoln did? You know, was Lincoln nice to the Confederacy? No, he was a, well, he was a tyrant domestically and right. foreign. If you count the Confederacy as foreign. Right. Um, but it's just it like. Had to be done. You know, it, it he came to the presidency without the intention of war and then the South decided to rebel and you know he didn't mince words. He went and crushed the rebellion, and uh, at the cost of three hundred twenty-five thousand people. Right, exactly. In a worthwhile cause. It That's a, a cause to die for. It was fucking worthwhile. You know, it's not. 
Jefferson talking about how it would be better that, you know, Adam and Eve were basically recreated again, but in freedom than for slavery to continue. Who would, who wouldn't give for that? It's that kind of like, um, uh, devotion to the idea of being free of, um, of, you know, of rejecting the idea of being a slave and of slavery being a, um, an acceptable position for humanity that will drive us forward. It's not something as conservative as saying like, you know, okay, so we have these eternal sins that can only be, um, exculpated by, um, posting and, uh, um, you know, donating to my, you know, 10 NGOs or whatever. Not that any of that is bad in and of itself. It just has nothing to do with like politics. There's no point in describing a moral judgment to any of it. Right. But I think um, to bring it back a bit, I mean, subjugation is at the heart of everything that we read about in this mm. unit. It's literally everything. And it's all of the anxieties. That is like the number one anxiety is subjugation of will. And every single one of these stories has characters whose wills are subjugated variety of, of different ways from in 2217 this uh, supposed natural desire to procreate and have a natural family this traditionalism to a, a planet for rent uh, which is just to kind of live live your life freely uh, to I mean weirdly you know third body problem which is just they're literally interfering with the ability to progress scientifically through little robots but you know like seven dimensional robots yeah it's yeah okay you know whatever they make a they make a computer out of the sky or whatever and turn (laughs) it into (laughs) but the point stands in that it is again it's just hampering the ability for free will for these it's destroying that's cool that's like the thing that ties all of these sci-fi stories together and it's not they're all not necessarily dystopian either right it's yeah that that's a really optimistic note it's just saying like it's the it's the, you know, mediated, you know, somewhat distorted desire to be free, you know, both in like how one, I mean, I remember even reading when we read Three Body Problem, um, the, uh, the um, alien, what was the alien race called? Do you remember? Ter- no, uh, Trisolarians. Yeah, Trisolarians. When that Trisolarian who got the, had got the message from Earth and how, we learned a little bit about Trisolarian civilization, which is that it still fucking had a labor market. I, I really can't get over that. Like, it's just like, oh, okay. So this is another country. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, but you did get a sense for, like, how um, self-loathing, you know, that uh, Trisolarian was, right? And how he wanted something more and sort of, like, his receiving of that message and responding back to it was his own expression of freedom in a very um, regimented life. And uh, in all of the books we've read, yeah, that, that desire for freedom is constantly trying to be expressed. It's trying to come out. And um, I think that's all about, that's the modern human condition. Yeah. I wrote, it's, it, I, we can blame Freud for this. I've been reading Freud. We can blame Freud for it or Freud describes it. Well, yeah, he describes it, I guess, but. We can right. blame me bringing it up because I've been reading Civilization it. and its Discontents? It's so good. Is it? I haven't read it. It's so good. I strongly read Okay, good. Freud's a big thing in Platypus, so I'll have to read it. I'm, I'm getting into it. I've, so I just read that, and then I've been watching YouTube videos, you know, because I, I haven't really been able to pick up any. Okay. Freud, 
but I guess I could order off Amazon. Um, Troy thinks uh, Freud's a crackpot, so we can have you a know a lot of people say that. Um, it feels very unfounded from what I'm understanding. It seems like everything he's saying is like so obviously true. Like, I, did, I just went into I did honestly I did, I'm not like very good re- well read. I just went into this being like I don't really know what's up with Freud. Uh, society is discontents. I've heard it's great. And I read it and I was like, oh, this is just evident. Like, this is just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Duh. Well put, bro. Like, right. it's just like, <laughs> it was just a fucking banger. From Can't the start disagree to with that. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is just obviously true. And I'm like, <laughs> people are like, oh, he's a fucking idiot. Uh, like, he's he's obsessed with cocks and stuff. I, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. A, so I what? remember the author. B, I don't think so. Uh, you didn't talk about <laughs> dicks in that book. <laughs> I, and people are like, oh, he talks about the anal phase. Which is literally a thing. Like, I, duh. Oh man, I, it's it's weird how people reject the idea that like formative sexual experiences happen when you're an infant. But it's not even sexual. It's beyond that. It's like no, but I'm the just, most right, right. Oh, I, I. It's like it's like something. It was like an old joke. Like oh, you know. Yeah. And then it's just turned into something that people think is like actually true. Right. It's frustrating. Uh, but I did want to say that I do have a Freud biography, which I've read like a sixth of, and uh, um, it's by the author named Peter Gay. So, dude, you know what? I've looked at that. Where is it on your bookshelf? It's literally right there. Yeah. So, something for the listener. Um, I've spent a lot of time laying on this couch, and I've just like looked at the wall of books. So, like, there are like certain books that are like imprinted in my head just from like staring so much at this bookshelf wall. It's very weird. Which books jump out to you? Um, I, the Peter Gay thing pops out for some reason. The Hunter Thompson, it's orange. The Count of Monte Cristo uh, always pops out for some reason. Um, chef, I don't know what that is. Always pops out. The Four Hour Chef. Okay, uh, it's 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 just like random books, but the the Peter Gay Freud always stands out. It's right there. Um, I like that. It's funny. The Kierkegaard looks new. I don't know. The Kierkegaard. On the bottom, I, there's like books that like I'm like I don't remember seeing that. It's interesting. Kier- the, not very good. I've had the, that for a while. The striping though is not is. You can't have lettering on top of striping if it's off center. You know what I'm saying? It looks odd to me. All right, let's wrap this up. We're talking about typography now. Um, so, um, thank you everybody for listening today. Whoa. This has been. Let's like. Oh yeah, yeah. We're gonna talk about <laughs> the. Yeah, sorry. Let's wrap it up a little more. Okay. <laughs> so, um. So next, so like we were talking about subjugation, and that's where it went off the rails. So let's bring it back to that, and then just wrap up. So subjugation, um, I want to subjugate you. You can't. I want to subjugate you. Oh, kind I want of to subjugate like you. both of you. You get subjugated. You get. Subjugated. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go get my so, gun. <laughs> so I mean, isn't that really how a state started? You know, it's like yes. me. I want to subjugate you and you want to subjugate him and she wants to be subjugated by all of us and then um and then we create a state but it goes beyond a state. Right. You subjugate your will in a society independent of a state. We are subjugating right. our wills all of the time in order to function in a society. Right. Right. Am I being too serious about this? No, no, no. Keep no, going. I mean, this accurate. is good. That, that's true. That's just yeah. like what Freud said. I, right. Like like we are all subject like that right. that is that's the social contract right but just on like a yeah that's a Rousseauian thing like it's the idea that like the progress in civilization is also a regression in the individual 
Yeah. So we have this like total cooperative power that produces all of these lovely products of civilization that we enjoy, like these microphones, right? But like it also has a regressive effect. So Rousseau uses um like the contrast between you know the civilized man and the Native American savage, right? Whereas like you know give a civilized man all of the tools of civilization and yeah sure he'll easily defeat uh you know native american savage but drop him at drop him in the woods right with nothing and we'll see you know which one um you know which one survives yeah or also in your psychology so Rousseau observed that um civilized individuals were um slavish right they were uh servile towards power right but like you know, look at any of these indigenous tribes when they're being confronted with, um, with like the onslaught of, of Western society. And they, uh, they, they don't want to be slaves, right? They resist any concept of it. Um, they, they don't submit to that, that will, right? Eventually they all get, you know, everybody gets kind of wrapped up in it. But, um, I think it's interesting to understand, uh, society is both like the progress we see around us and also is kind of like a diminishment of us as individuals. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it costs for progress when you really think about it. I mean, the more that you have and the more that you are, you have available to you and the further that you go as a society, um, almost the worse off each individual becomes mm-hmm. in well, an individual level. But it, it 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 gives the opportunity for more freedoms in some respects and less mm-hmm. freedoms in other respects, and then there are problems that arise because of it. You know what I mean? And that that's something that Freud talks about is that all of these call it neuroses, pathologies. Uh, yeah, yeah, these things happen because your will is subordinated, and in some people something happens uh, and it pops. You know what I mean? And right. They, I, I don't know. I don't know what exactly he was taught. Disc- what, what the issues in his time were, but in our time. It's people fucking gunning down 15 people. Like, that is a direct correlation between their wills being subordinated every single day. Yep. Most Ted Kaczynski is a good example. He's freedom incarnate, if you ask me. He, he, was, he was MK Ultra. I mean, <laughs> no, for real. Yeah. They tortured him in Harvard. Like, they, uh-huh. the CIA or whatever, like, literally tortured his ass. Right. But, I mean, that is what the, the thing is, is that people's wills are subjugated, and some people, for some reason or other, cannot handle it psychologically or maybe they experience too much of it right or we ex- we express our subjugation of will in different ways mm-hmm. right some people shoot up schools and other people like masturbate too much or whatever start a podcast as yeah i just said right other people become celebrities um <laughs> <laughs> right or they stay inside too much or they jack off to anime or right. whatever you know like yeah. all kinds of right or they read books about the meiji restoration like pfft. Uh, Fuck those guys. N- nope, those guys are cool. No, oh, never they're, mind. We like guys. Cool. <laughs> those guys are free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're with, they're not just cool, they're free. You know, sure. Yeah. You know what the samurai honestly though, um pretty fucking cool. Can't wait to get into it, bros, cuz uh th- those dudes were the last bastion of freedom. This is me just coming <laughs> out as like the most right-wing guy on earth. <laughs> You're like, "You know what? What if I what if I was Mishima?" And he rocks. Yeah, he was totally ripped. He, he was, was all about the body. He was he bisexual. Dudes, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Mishima must be like the coolest guy who ever he lived. He committed. So this is an author we're going to read um, 
Oh, Some yeah, Tom. Of. This is a, you haven't read him yet. No, not and, yet. And we're gonna read gonna the sailor him. who fell from grace with the sea. Right. Yeah, that was the book we chose. Yeah. Um, which is an excellent um, novel. I think both of us have read it. Um, I haven't read it yet. Oh, you haven't I've read been it. Saving yet. it. Oh, okay, cool. Because we talked about. Yeah, yeah, we've because we uh, you read Spring Snow and um, mm-hmm. the novel after that, right? I haven't read that yet. I read Golden Pavilion. Okay. Golden. Um, but basically, this guy is a he's like a uh, Japanese fascist, and. Uh, great writer, like very about like the bodily aesthetic. Obviously, like we said, he's jacked. But how he dies is he tries to, um, he takes like him and a band of his followers, and they go and they they try to have a like uh, enact a coup on the government after World War Two to restore the emperor. It fails, and he commits seppuku and just kills himself. Yeah, he like disembowels himself and has one of his boys cut his head off. It's a noble way to go. Fucking metal. Yeah, um, and, and this is and the best part about this is that he was like a very popular author in Japan. You know what I mean? This is this would be like if um, J.K. Rowling, <laughs> maybe not J- yeah. J.K. <laughs> Rowling fucking tried to make the queen an absolute monarch. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had her head cut off, <laughs> which I hope happened. I can <laughs> see the parallel. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> But uh, shit. Let's wrap. Th- let's say goodbye, though. Yeah. Um, so on the next so episode fellas. of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. <laughs> so um, next time we're going to be reading the f- uh, first two thirds of uh, Major Restoration by W. G. Beasley, and that's going to kick off our um, Japanese literature unit. Um, we're reading sort of an overarching history of um, the Meiji era to get a better sense of what these authors will be responding to both sort of before and after. Um, So yeah, uh, tune in next time. Have a good night. Bye. Good night.